I'm going to read from Acts chapter 11 because when Amy and I first came to the church, uh, nearly eight years ago now, I preached the first three Sundays from Acts 11 and 13. And I just want to revisit those verses um, to bring us up to speed on where what God's calling us to now and where we are on that journey. So Acts chapter 11, this is what the Bible says. Now there were those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. And they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, that is Greek-speaking non-Jews, and they spoke to them also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came, he saw the grace of God and he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first, called, were first called Christians, a word that means mini Christ. Barnabas goes to Antioch, and it says that he saw the grace of God at work, the grace of God, the loving kindness and generosity of God. He saw something that made him think God was at work in that place. He saw evidences at work, evidences of the grace of God. What were those evidences? In verse 20, he says that he spoke to the non-Jewish, some people had spoken to the non-Jewish people. Jesus was a Jew, the Old Testament was written to Jewish people, but the message was always with a promise that this isn't just for people who are ethnically Jewish, this is for the whole world. So some people went to Antioch and told people who weren't Jewish. And the gospel, for one of the first times, crosses racial and national boundaries. He saw the grace of God at work in that the gospel message had created a group of people who were diverse culturally and racially. It says that these people preached the Lord Jesus. Didn't just preach some lifestyle advice. Preached the message of the Lord Jesus. They were, he saw the evidences of a people centered around Jesus. And in verse 21, it says, A great number who believed turned. A great number of people who believed turned to the Lord Jesus. And that's interesting as a phrase in itself to make a distinction between those who believe and those who turn. There are many people who believe, believe in God, but the same number of people who turn and call themselves Christians isn't the same. People say, I believe in God. But there are people who, in this situation, also then turned to the Lord Jesus themselves, turned to the Lord Jesus himself. And when it says that phrase, they turned to the Lord Jesus, it's, a, it's a, an expression for saying they became Christians. They didn't just changed their Facebook status. They turned their entire way of being, rather than living in one direction for themselves, they turned to the Lord Jesus and used everything they had to be devoted to Jesus. Eight years ago, we talked about this Bible passage and some of those evidences at work. And as we talked about it for three weeks, it was just a sermon series. Now, it's a reality, what God has done in those eight years. And you need to know, church, how 
and what people are saying about this church outside of Seaford. Our friends in Eastbourne who planted this as a church are amazingly encouraged as they see videos like the one of, of Deborah that we showed at Christmas of what God's done in the last year. And they watch the video and they see evidences of grace. They see evidences of God at work among us. See, previously as a church, when we started with a handful of people in Seaford Head School, we were by and large a very young church. The average age was in its mid-twenties. And people would come, older people would come, and often they would express to me, I'm not sure if I belong here, because everybody here is very young. Now, I'm thrilled to say that our average age is a lot more like a family. We have older people and younger people. Previously, we were very much a monoculture, with very little racial, national, economic diversity. Now, that's changed. We have Saffers and Zimbos, Jamaicans and Scots, and a few Londoners as well, and even increasingly Brighton and Hove Albion supporters. <laughs> Turn with me just over the page um, to Acts chapter 13. That's how the church began in Acts 13, the evidences of God at work. And then in Acts 13, the church has been established for some time. And this is what it says. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. What, what began in seed form in Acts 11 flowers into the, the tree, the established church that you see. There's increased diversity in the church. There's a variety of different gifts that God has given to the church. There's an expectation among the church that God speaks. There's an emphasis in the church on prayer. While they were praying and fasting together, it's just a part of their rhythm as a church. They are regularly praying and fasting and calling out to the Lord to discern for themselves the direction that he wants them to go. And it's that that I want to stress and emphasize this morning. I want to remind those of you who've been part of the story of King's Church for a while. Some of you, some of you have been involved in King's Church for close to 30 years close to the certainly 20 years when the church was, had been going. But I also want to impress upon those of you who are fairly new to the church. Come and join our church and be part of the story of the church. But this, I believe, is part of what it means. It's a reminder and an emphasis that we as a church believe and have seen that God answers prayer. We must be a people who pray. And on this Sunday, when there is a new carpet smell, I want us to breathe in the smell of the carpet and the glue and not get high. But instead, remember, as you breathe in the smell, God answers prayer. We must pray. Now, being slightly lighthearted, but smell has a powerful way of attaching itself to memories in the brain. Freshly cut grass and childhood games. Lavender and Grandma's house. Norwegian pine and Christmas Day. I want to rewire some of your smell receptors to, to whenever you smell new carpet, I want you to remember God answers prayer. We need to pray.
That's what the smell should mean. New carpet smell. A smell of completion. A smell of home. A smell of we've arrived. Fresh. Peace. A smell of, that reminds us God answers prayer. In 2014, as a church, we prayed for a place of our own. Rather than having to hire a school, God answers prayer. And the first time I approached someone on our finance and administrative team about buying the building, this building, they laughed at me because they said, you're too small as a congregation. You don't have the income as a church. Breathe it in. God answers prayer. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, in order that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me for anything in my name, Jesus says, I will do it. This isn't a carte blanche, make whatever wish you want and I'll give it to you. But it's a promise that when we pray in line with the name and reputation of Jesus and use his authority in our prayers, God will hear us and answer. And in 2 Chronicles in the Old Testament chapter 7, God says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. If my people who are called by my name, we are Christians, called after the name of the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, we ask in his name and we humble ourselves and Without humility or humbling ourselves, genuine prayer isn't possible. But when we humble ourselves and we seek God's face, we turn from our sin and give ourselves to him. The Bible's promise, God's promise is that he will hear us. God hears us when we pray. Is there anything more wonderful in the world than that? That God, the creator... The one who created everything that exists. He promises that when we pray, he'll hear us. He'll listen. Breathe it in. Smell the carpet. Remember, God answers prayer. Not always in our time or often in our way. But nevertheless, God answers prayer. We need to pray. As a church over the past few years... We haven't seen many people turn to the Lord Jesus as they did in Antioch. We haven't seen many people become Christians. And so on September the 26th, last year, 2019, we as a church fasted from food for two days, asking God that more people would become Christians because we haven't seen many people turn to the Lord for some time. Then, just a month later, on the 29th of October, I was able to put the following message on our prayer WhatsApp. I wrote, amazing, tonight two people just became Christians at our home in Alpha, uh, Alpha in our home. Hi. And then on the 9th of December, I put out another WhatsApp message, again with the news that another person had come along on a Sunday and decided they wanted to become Christians. Breathe it in. God answers prayer. We need to pray. We need to humble ourselves and ask God for things. And this year as a church, we've committed to pray and fast from food on the first Friday of every month, asking God to bring more people to himself. Next Friday is the first Friday. Join us. Go without food for a day and ask God to alter people's destinies, to change situations, to change yourself. Pray. 
God answers prayer. We need to pray. Let's just consider our story as a church and perhaps the calling that God has on us as a community in the future. In 2008, whilst praying as a team in Eastbourne, someone had a a mental picture in their mind of electricity pylons stretching from Eastbourne to Seaford and of beacons lit on the hills, lights in the darkness. We wondered as a team, could we start a new church in Seaford perhaps? We prayed and we asked God to lead us. Then in 2010, a small group of people started to get together to discuss and pray about what it might look like to start a church in Seaford. Many of those people are still with us, Graham and Shirley, Martin and Polly, David and Gillian, Anne and Bruce, to name just a few. And then in September 2010, we began meeting as a church every Sunday afternoon at 4 p.m. in Seaford Head School. At 4 p.m., it was a hard afternoon slog, but we did have donuts every Sunday Several people sold their houses and moved to Seaford to be part of what God was going to do and that we believe God was going to do. Sacrifice and generosity are always part of the adventure that God calls us to. In 2012, I was at a conference and someone prayed and prophesied, sharing with us an image of of a sleeping giant rising and about God beginning to do something significant among us again. In 2013... In a prayer meeting, we felt God say to us that we are to be a reservoir as a church, a community, a place that brings life to people around us. God said that we are to be a community that people will travel far from far afield to find refreshment in God's presence among us. And now we have people that travel as far afield as Telscombe and Peacehaven to be part of what God's doing here. In 2014, we asked God for this building. We were too few in number to buy it. We didn't have the money, but we felt God say yes. And so we walked tentatively towards it. In 2015, Tom and Susie Brock, a visiting prophetic couple, said to us, they said, God is commissioning you to reach young people in this town. And they said, God is calling you to build a vineyard, not a church, a place known for the presence of God, a place of life and joy. Then in 2016, Around the time we were beginning to consider placing an offer on this building, someone else prophesied. and They said, I saw a bank statement next to some building plans, and I felt God say, he's going to provide. So we prayed. We gave sacrificially. God provided. Again, breathe it in. God answers prayer. We need to pray. And then more recently in October 2019, the two days of prayer, we received prophetic word after prophetic word of people, leaders from different churches around our movement, praying for us about the future that God is daring us to ask him for. In Acts 13, we read, it says, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. In the strictest sense, Christianity is not a religion. It is a movement. It has to do with advance. It is the message, the news, the announcement that Jesus has conquered death, that forgiveness is available, that reconciliation with our Creator is possible. And it is the movement of the people of God then taking that announcement into the world. What is next for us as a community? And whenever we go out walking as a family, um, I always want to know what is over the next hill or around the next corner which makes for long walks. 
because I'm always, we've gone around the corner, that's lovely, but what's around the next corner? We've gone over the hill, that's lovely, but what's over the next hill? I can be gone for days at a time. What are we here for? What are our next hills? What are the, the corners that God is calling us to walk around and then see, seek him for beyond that? I believe that we are here as a church family in Seaford to be a family for the lonely. We're here to break the individualism of our age. And we're here to challenge the consumerism of society, to wage our own mini-revolutions against the spirit of our age of capitalism. We're here not to say, how, much, how can I get my money's worth or give me what I deserve, but instead to acknowledge how undeserving all of us are as recipients of God's grace and to say, what can I give further to be part of what God's doing in the world? How can I better love and serve the people in my life, in this town, in my family, on my street? To ask the question, how can we use all of the means that God has given us to ensure that many more people hear about the possibility of life in Jesus the Messiah? And last week, someone at a meeting in Eastbourne, someone approached me and they said that they'd been praying for us as a church. And while praying, they, had, they felt God give them a prophetic word about who we are as a church and what we're becoming. He said to me, that when he looked at me, he said, I, I saw Bear grills." And I said, I'm listening. <laughs> and he said, Bear Grylls is known for, well, people love Bear Grylls for his resourcefulness, how he can survive in the wild of nothing but a, an old battery from a mobile phone and create fire. People love his ingenuity and his resourcefulness. And he said, I believe God is saying to you as a church that people will look on at you and think, how are they able to do that? There's a resourcefulness in God and an honoring of the gifts that God has placed among us that will cause people to look on and say, they're a small community, and yet they've done that. They've planted churches there. They've seen that happen in their town. How? Because of the gift that God is, the gifts that God has put in the room, in the people that are sat among us. Because of the faith, because of the generosity, because of the sacrifices that people have made and will continue to make in the future. That was his prophetic word for us. This building is a resource. It's just a tool that God has given us to use in order to nurture what God is putting in our hearts as a community. I want to show you some pictures of what we might be able to do with this building. Uh, this is a picture of what the building looks like now, and this is what our architects have said it could look like from one side. This is another picture from the other angle of what the church looks like now. And here's a, a picture of what it could look like. These are some plans that our architect uh, unveiled to us and we talked about and showed at our members meeting recently. Do you want to see a video of what the inside could look like? Yeah, I do. So uh, this is a two-minute video, just as a, a, an architectural walkthrough of what the, the church building could look like, given the right faith and generosity and sacrifice. Let's see. What's God calling us to as a community? It's a big vision. We watch grand designs from time to time and people spend millions of pounds on developing a home for themselves that's only ever ready by the time all their children have grown up and left. Instead of spending millions of pounds on our own houses, it's an invitation to spend millions, I don't know. We've got a quantitative surveyor looking at how much that's going to cost. We're going to phase it into different sections to start developing it toward the end that God, toward the end that we want. But it's an invitation for us to be part of something bigger, 
to write a story, continue a story in this town. Now, my old RE teacher uh, in secondary school is a major part of the reason that I'm standing here. He was and is a very godly man, and he sowed his life into dozens of young people as a teacher in a secondary school, sharing with them the gospel of Jesus over several decades. He was a man who was single into his 40s when he found a, a woman and became married to someone of similar mindset, sold out for the gospel as he was, just as sold out for Jesus as he was. Uh, they had two children together. And rather tragically or unexpectedly, she developed a brain tumor and died very suddenly when their children were around nine years old, 11 years old. And when I heard of this, I'd moved away by the time I was at university. And when I heard of this, I sent him a condolence email and i never forget his reply to me. He just, he thanked me for my email and then said, life doesn't make sense without Jesus. In his darkest moment, he was still saying, life just doesn't make sense without Jesus. I had the amazing opportunity to visit him again before Christmas. I hadn't seen him for many years, but I looked him up and took my family around to see him. And I stood in his living room with my three children. And I said, thank you for telling me about Jesus. Because you did. I have these children, I have a wife, and knowing Jesus is the most precious thing in the world. Life doesn't make sense without Jesus. Following Jesus is the most exciting and life-fulfilling part of the great adventure and challenge and mystery that is life. And what a privilege to be able to stand in his living room and say, thank you for sowing your life into young people like me and telling me about Jesus. Because you did, they are. <laughs> and they're being raised in a home that honors Jesus as well. On a morning like this with new carpet, it, it, <laughs> As, as trivial as it might seem, for many people, the smell is a, we've made it smell. We've arrived. We've not arrived. We have maybe finished the introduction of what we as a church community are here to do, to get a tool that can be used to tell more people about Jesus, that more people would come to know the gospel and have their lives and their thinking and their worlds turned upside down by encountering the, live of, the living God and knowing that they're forgiven of their sin and that he comes to offer them life and life in abundance. Now, I always think vision of the future is meant to have an effect on us. It's meant to loosen our grip on the things that we pursue. And it's meant to open our eyes to the possibility of what God might call, be calling us to do. This morning's an invitation to loosen your grip on maybe some of the things you are living for, career or popularity or the perfect house or an athletic achievement. And, but instead, this is an invitation from God, from me, from us as a church, to spend your life on this. Not this, but this, to know him, to lead others to know him. In the early church, Barnabas who goes to Antioch, was so moved by the grace of God that we read in Acts 2 that he sold a field and just gave the money to the apostles. 
A field in his day was the equivalent of a house. It was a symbol of security. In an abjectly poor society, he sold the one worldly thing he had that would bring him any chance of security, and he gave it because he'd been caught by the grace of God and the gospel of God. What have we been caught by? What have you been caught by? What vision of your life and of the future are you running to that's going to require you to sacrifice things and to give generously to? I want more people in the future be able to stand in your living rooms and be able to tell you, thank you for being part of this people, for honoring Jesus and for inviting others to know him as well. Thank you. That's my desire for us as a church. And that's my invitation to you, whether you're new to us as a community or been here for the decade that we've almost been going. That's who we are. That's what we're about. We're not a religious people. We're a people on a movement following God together.